As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With the same place in AFC South opponents in our rear view, we now move on to the NFC East. Another division looking to rebound from a rough 2015, and we begin with America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Can the boys stay healthy enough to get out of the cellar? And what will it take? Tom Ryle from Blogging the Boys on SB Nation joins us on the NFC East preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. We have officially reached the halfway point in our opponent preview episodes. Number seven of 14, previewing our beloved's opponents for 2016. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the first, for part one of the NFC East preview episodes. And um, we start with going from worst to first. Our fourth place finisher from the NFC East last year in the Dallas Cowboys. A very tumultuous up and well, not even really up at all, actually, uh, type season for the uh, Cowboys last year. I mean, uh, I mean, more than just Romo went down last year, but it just seemed like it all kind of fell apart. Um, when he was out of the lineup, they were two and zero with him to start off the season. He gets hurt week two against the Eagles. Uh, comes back, I think eight or nine weeks later, wins his first start back against the Miami Dolphins, and then four days later gets hurt on Thanksgiving Day. Was done for the rest of the season. After that, the Cowboys only were were one and eleven with the backup quarterbacks that they had on the roster. I mean, they were pretty much bringing in just about anybody they could find off the street. Uh, to play quarterback and and you know what uh, what was most disappointing about the Cowboys is that with that offensive line the running game that they had even without DeMarco Murray last year uh, McFadden was a thousand yard rusher you'd figure that even that they got just a guy that with a with a brain and a pulse uh, just being a game manager that they'd be able to manage more than one victory without Tony Romo last year but uh, you'd be wrong uh, with that line of thinking because it just did not happen for them uh, last year. So with Tom Ryle from uh, bloggingtheboys.com on SB Nation, we have him on the show to uh, talk about the uh, the Cowboys in 2015, the offseason, and going into uh, this year. Um, no real notes, uh, nothing headline-worthy uh, happening uh, for the Bears uh, this time, so the only real thing that I have to tell you uh, before we jump into our conversation with Tom is that uh, there's been a change of plan as far as who we're going to be having on the show for our Giants episode, which is up next, uh, number eight out of uh, the 14 uh, that we're doing. It was supposed to be Patricia Trainer from InsideFootball.com, uh, but we weren't able to 
pin down, uh, you know, anchored anchored down to time to be able to uh, uh, to do it. And on top of that, she was only going to be available for about 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, as you see, my conversation with Tom Ryle went almost 50 minutes, which is why I'm keeping this as short as I possibly can uh, for you guys. And, uh, you know, 20 minutes can you can squeeze a lot in there, but it's I'd, I'd feel like I was rushing it and it would feel more like an interview than a conversation, which I it's just kind of what I'd like to portray this as it's you know a bear fan and a giants fan a bear fan and a cowboy fan like we have on this one having a conversation about their team you know that's kind of what uh, what i aim for when i'm doing these and it just didn't really lend itself well so i was able to find a backup uh christopher schwartz from uh fansided.com uh their giants page which is uh gmen hq Dot com. He will be joining us uh, this week, uh, later this week, uh, to talk about the G-Men. Uh, their very interesting offseason where they spent a mountain of money uh, rebuilding the defense, uh, the guaranteed money that they gave Olivier Vernon and um, uh, the corner, whose name is escaping me uh, right now. I feel silly. But um, the cornerback from the Rams – uh, who ended up signing with the Giants along with Vernon, a, a, an, an enormous amount of money that they got in just in guaranteed money. Not I mean on top of that, with the, what the contracts are supposed to be worth, with the guaranteed money alone is enough to turn heads. And uh, I mean they spent a boatload of cash. They got a brand new coach uh, com- taking over. I mean McAdoo is uh, a hire from within, so he's familiar with the team and whatnot. Interesting conversation I look forward to having with Chris about the New York Giants, and that will be uh, later on uh, this week, possibly on the weekend. I'm talking to him on Friday, so maybe it could be out by Friday night, no later than Saturday uh, for that episode since we're, uh, we're getting this one out here on Tuesday uh, for Tom and the, uh, the Cowboys. So, but next week we have uh, Brandon Gowton. Uh, from uh, Bleeding Green uh, on SB Nation to talk about the uh, the Eagles, and then finally next uh, at the at the end of next week, just before the holiday, Mike Carrar from Hogs Haven on SB Nation back with us again to talk about the Redskins to wrap up the NFC East, and then we finally move on to the final four shows with our three division opponents and the the. Uh, well, from worst to first, it would be the Lions, the Packers, and then the Vikings because they actually did win the division last year. And then we'll wrap up with uh, a full, full-scale focus on our beloved Chicago Bears to wrap up show number 14. So here we are. This is the halfway point number seven. And without further ado, let's just go ahead and dive right in with Tom Ryle from bloggingtheboys.com on SB Nation to preview the 2016 Dallas Cowboys. So with the same place opponents and the AFC South out of the way, we finally get started with the NFC East. And unfortunately, we we've been doing this going from worst to first in a very surprise, surprise fourth place finisher last year in the in the uh, in the Dallas Cowboys. We have Tom Ryle from from bloggingtheboys.com at SB Nation. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, my pleasure to be here. I'm hoping we have a better year this year. Yeah, so sorry to have to, you know, throw that out there like, hey, we're talking to the last place guys first or or anything like that. And I know 2015 was a 
was a tough season to stomach through, especially with the expectation that you guys had going in the, the way that that 2014, a very, you know, a surprise kind of 12 and four season, very dominant with the run, made a you know, decent run in the playoffs and, you know, kind of got robbed in that uh, Green Bay game uh, in the divisional round and everything. But high expectations for 2015. And then week number two, Romo goes down and disaster strikes. Yeah, uh, the uh, the most accurate description I can have I have for the entire 2015 season is basically that it sucked. Uh, <laughs> was, it, it was a it was a series of injuries, and it really wasn't the number of games missed. It was that Dallas got hit in so many key places. They lost Orlando Scandrick uh, in preseason, who is probably their best cornerback. Uh, you know, and cornerback is one of your key positions. Then, of course. You have your top wide receiver, Des Bryant, gets hurt in the first game and is never uh, really 100% for the rest of the season, even though he does come back. Right. Uh, Tony Romo goes down in week two. You know, now you've lost your wide receiver, your quarterback. Uh, you know, and they tried to bring Romo back. They tried to save the season, but unfortunately, uh, they were just in a mess at backup quarterback. They put faith in Brandon Whedon, and that turned out to be horribly misplaced. Uh, lost a couple of other kind of key players, a guy named Terrell McClain that most people don't really talk about. Very good defensive tackle. He went down in the first game, too, with a broken foot and was lost for the season. And then the one offensive weapon that was really working for Whedon uh, was Lance Dunbar, their change of pace running back. He goes down and is lost for the season. So right. those injuries just kind of gutted him, and that's really the story of what happened in 2015. So, I mean, that's one of the questions that I that I wanted to ask about the the 2015 season was, um, you know, you still had a top ten running game, you still had that offensive line, you still had um, Jason Witten, you know, and a couple of other. Um, you know, Cole Beasley was still there. He was healthy yep. last year. I mean, was it really this? The was that is it? Where was the disconnect on offense? I mean, I know that the there was a steep drop off after Romo goes down. You have you know Whedon and you bring in Matt Castle and and so on with the backup quarterbacks. Were they just not the right guys for the for the spot? Because you figure with what you have in the running game and, and and you know that offensive line that even even a simple game manager type quarterback should be able to get you. Because without Romo, you guys only won one game last year. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what happened with Whedon, it was like every week his performance seemed to decline. Uh, the best theory I had for that is that the long, more people had, the more opposing defenses had video on, on him to game plan, the less effective he was because he was so easy to counter. Um. And that seems to be borne out by the evidence. Uh, Matt Castle, it was a part of partly a combination of coming in late you know he was signed after the season started he's having to learn the system and just you know i think he wasn't quite what they really needed anyway i really think it goes down to the the quarterbacks uh it's a little scary that they're relying right now on kellen moore as their backup because i ain't willing to put a whole lot of money on him being the solution either um you know they did draft a dak prescott who i think the I think the idea with him was to become the backup of the future. I just don't know that he's going to be ready. So yeah, they're putting a lot in Romo's basket this year, but you know they've also taken a couple other steps to try and make things better. 
Yeah, they certainly did. I mean, with with um, you know the, the the Cowboys weren't very active uh, in free agency. I think Alfred Morris is you know the one signing that's that's as far as noteworthy, or at least the, at least the one that made headlines. Uh, anyway, there's, a, there were, there's one other. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Cedric Thornton, a pickup from the Philadelphia Eagles, a defensive tackle. Okay. Uh, they got some pretty good expectations for him in a defensive line rotation because Ron Marinelli likes to come in with at least eight linemen for the game and basically play all of them uh, pretty heavily uh, and keep throwing bodies at you. Yeah, he and uh, we think Thornton would be will be a, a good addition to the rotation on the interior because with the uh, suspensions to their top two defensive ends that they're facing, they're going to be looking to get a little bit more pressure up the middle. And frankly, they're going to be trying to manufacture some pass rush. So Thornton probably was a, a an underrated pickup for them. Uh, definitely. And with the um, with Lawrence and um... – Randy Gregory. Thank you. Randy Gregory. I was looking for his name on my notes here. Uh, Randy Gregory both missing the first four games of the season due to uh, PED violations. Then, mm-hmm. you know, his contributions are going to be looked upon early in the season. Yeah. Uh, it, that The first four games, and that's if Goodell doesn't come out and reduce uh, Lawrence's suspension. Of course, nobody's betting any money on it, but the team's apparently fairly optimistic they've got a good case on what's going on with Lawrence and that there apparently was a doctor involved in what he took. So I don't know how that's going to turn out, but they're, they're planning on them both being gone for a quarter of the season. So yeah, they're, they're throwing a bunch of young athletic players out there that have very little pedigree. They're only really proven guy outside of Thornton who had some good, good time, uh, good games up in Philadelphia is uh, Tyrone Crawford. They've got they're putting a lot of weight on him. Uh, they paid him last year, and uh, he's supposed to carry some of the weight up the middle too. Okay, and you know, so then it all kind of comes down to the to the draft. Actually, before we get to that, uh, speaking of free agency, with with Skandrick going down, Brandon Carr hasn't been all that you wanted him to be when when you signed in the big free agent deal. Um, Claiborne has yet to be worthy of that number six draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, were you surprised and or disappointed the Cowboys didn't at least make a run at Josh Norman when he became available? Not really, because the Cowboys have pretty much taken it as a uh, uh, sort of a a basic law that they are not going to get into bidding for the big dollar free agent contracts anymore. Uh, you know, they signed Greg Hardy a year ago, and that was that turned into a disaster by the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, Hardy was not bad on the field, but the off-field stuff just kept getting worse. And his performance declined after the incident with the photos being released from the uh, incident. Uh, Brandon Carr was their last big contract before that, and as you said, that has not been uh, what they wanted it to be. Now, Carr took a, a pay cut to stay with the team this year. And, yeah, uh, I saw that. And he's a very – the one thing he's got is he, he shows up. He's not a bad cornerback. He's just not, you know, a $10 million a year cornerback, which is what the uh, original contract was for. Right. They're hopeful about Claiborne because he actually had his best year last year because he was healthier. His, his problem has not been talent. He's been very unhealthy. 
and at one point it was reported that he was uh, down to something like 150, 160 pounds out there. Oh, wow. And he has bulked back up and is looking ripped. And the, the word coming out of OTAs in minicamp was that he was the most intense player out there. Uh, now, they did hold him out the last couple of minicamp practices because they said he had a little twinge in his hamstring, which, you know, makes you cringe. But if he can stay healthy, he's really trying to salvage his whole career. Uh, he's on a one-year deal with the Cowboys, trying to earn a shot at a bigger contract. And, you know, a lot of times players in that situation really have career years to try and make their case to get some money. Yeah, um, if you mention the word soft tissue injury, hamstrings, calf muscles, we Bear fans cringe as well because that's what cost us <laughs> nine games. We only got nine games out of Alshon Jeffrey uh, yeah. last year. I mean, and, and he was, you know, pretty awesome in those nine games, but the seven that he missed were, you know, we, we desperately missed him, and it was all the soft tissue stuff, hamstrings. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. one twinge after another, if you will, and he was uh, – you know, missing time when he was desperately needed uh, on the offense. Yeah, it's kind of what was happening with, with Des Bryant, who is kind of the other half of that problem with the quarterbacks. Don't forget they were rolling out backup quarterbacks without the top wide receiver out there. Right. And Cowboys have a, a very good uh, wide wide receiver, too, in Terrence Williams, but he just isn't that number one guy. Right, and then you have, you know, Cole Beasley and uh... – yeah, Beasley's a possession receiver. He's a right. slot guy, sneaky, able to get open. Uh, one yeah, of the I camp battles. Really, yeah, go ahead. I really like watching him him play. He is one of those under-the-radar guys. If you're not careful, he can smoke you. Yeah, and uh, they expect there to be something of a camp battle for who's going to be the number two wide receiver. Uh, they've got a guy named Bryce Butler they're very high on who's got that, that speed to get deep who flashed a little last year, and uh, so they're they're hoping to see something emerge from him in camp. So hopefully they'll have a full set of weapons. Now, when I was reading up, getting ready for, for our talk, I read that it was, I don't know how many years in a row Witten played each and every game last year, even though he had little, little he was a little banged up last yeah. year, but he played all 16 games. He's turning 34 this year, if he's not 34 already. How much time do you guys think you have left in Witten. Everybody keeps waiting for the decline and it just doesn't happen. He, he, uh, he's never been the fastest tight end out there. Uh, he, his craft is so excellent though. He just, he knows how to get open. Uh, and he is, uh, that possession receiver. He's not the guy that's gonna, you know, bust up the middle, uh, like a Gron a Gronkowski will. Mm -hmm. but he will help you get first downs and keep the chains moving, and he's an effective target in the red zone. Um, it's it's like with Roma. We keep, you know, crossing our fingers, but when when they're healthy, they just keep producing. And there's no one that really has been able to challenge Jason Witten just because no one on the team does it as well as he does, and he's effective in the running game as a blocker. And as I said, he always knows seems to know how to get himself open when he has to be yeah there aren't too many three down tight ends out there the guy that you know doesn't tip the hand 
uh, to the defense. Like, well, when this guy's in the game, we're running the ball. When this guy, he's going to be, you know, it's most likely going to be a pass. So, you know, let's get our nickel guys out there, you know, something like that. And, and Witten is one of those tight ends where you don't know if it's going to be a run or a pass because he can do both. Yeah, him being on the field just means that the offense is out there. Right. Right. So, yeah, he's one of those uh, rare breeds. And like you said, he's, he, you know, he might be banged up from time to time, but he's going to play, you know, if he can breathe, he's going to play. And he usually plays uh, plays pretty well. Now, I did have a question for you. I wanted to ask, but okay. we we got talking um, about uh, other stuff. But uh, I had a trivia question. I wanted to know if you knew who Tony Romo played against in his last college football game. No, I don't. Well, you know he went to Eastern Illinois. Yes. Okay. Eastern Illinois played Western Illinois in the playoff game. That was Romo's last football game. Do you want to know why I bring this up? I'm I'm just on pins and needles. <laughs> well, for starters, I went to Western Illinois. Ah. So I was there at the game. And not only was I at the game, but I was also the color commentator for television for Tony <laughs> Romo's last football game. Well, that's an interesting connection. Indeed, indeed. Did he, uh, so, did he look that good in college? Not in that game. No, <laughs> no, not that we the, the the next one. The game forty-eight to nine, thirty-eight to nine, something like uh, something like that, and um, you know. They kind of – the defense was in his face all day, and uh, Romo was not a big fan of the pressure, and he would throw the ball away, and it would land in somebody else's hands. It was, uh, it was a disaster yeah. uh, for, the, for, the, for them. You know, they had uh, played a relatively soft conference schedule and ran into a buzzsaw because Western was number two in the country at the time yeah. uh, when he came into town. But uh, just thought I'd uh, – throw that out there for you i was i was not only was i there but i was color commentator i was the john madden uh of that particular <laughs> uh ball game um so it's one of those things i like to bring up whenever i talk about the cowboys and uh tony tony romo so um yeah um now finally you know the one gym that the cowboys did have last year was that offensive line um which somehow keeps getting better with the addition of Lael Collins because he kind of falls into your lap because of the the personal issues he had just before the draft. This is a guy that was going to be a number one or a first-round pick for somebody last year, and then that whole disaster with the ex-girlfriend and, uh, yeah. and, and you know, that whole thing. He's an undrafted free agent. The Cowboys run in and scoop him up, and midseason he's your starting left guard and enhances yeah. an offensive line that was already the best in the league. Yeah, uh, and – I happen to have uh, been in touch with somebody that was involved. Uh, as soon as that, that broke, the Cowboys put together a team of people that went into Baton Rouge and started digging into this to find out if the, it was indeed uh, a completely inaccurate connection for him. And they vetted him thoroughly, very quickly, and that was why the Cowboys wanted to get him into Dallas before anybody else could because they knew that he would be a good pickup. Yeah, I remember I, I was looking online. I th it may have been like um, 
just one of those seven or eight second clips on I think it was on Twitter or something like that where it was like watch Lael Collins and everything he hit he absolutely ran over like he he pulled out to the left I think it was a screen or something like that the first guy he hit was a linebacker then he trucked the safety then the next yeah. thing in front of it's just like everything just turned to dust in front of him yeah he's still got development to go he's not a finished product but with his second year, he's expected to be better. And that line uh, hasn't been talked about a whole lot. They are they are not happy with the performance they had last year. They felt they didn't do enough to help the team. And they want to come out and show that they're even better than people say they are. Now, the one thing that I kept reading, I, I had a couple of magazines and I you know, did some research online is that um doug free while he's kind of like the leader of the unit and he's he's the veteran of the of the offensive line is the quote-unquote weak link of the of the offensive line with collins being a college tackle is there any thought about maybe him moving over to right tackle if free continues to be the weak link no and that's that's kind of a deceptive thing uh free is good enough to start for many teams as a right tackle and it's just that he's probably the least athletically gifted but he may be the smartest guy they got on that line as far as how to be an offensive lineman he's still very important to the line in that aspect uh he is going to be the starter as long as he's healthy uh there was talk about uh their third round pick from last year Chaz green may be challenging for the starting right tackle job but that that's pretty much everyone that was watching it. Uh, the uh, OTAs and minicamp said, "No, that's that's not what's going to happen. Uh, Green's going to be fighting to be the swing tackle as the backup." Yeah, the saying he's the least athletic uh, in a line that's got three first round picks and a guy that would have been a first round pick on that offensive line does it doesn't necessarily put a black mark on his on his report card saying that with those guys that he's playing with in the same unit. Yeah, and the uh, and Travis Frederick actually is is not the most athletic center. It's just his technique is is almost flawless, and uh, it's it's yeah it's it's the strength of the Cowboys. And it it was funny because one of the big things was uh, up until they uh, drafted Tyron Smith, everyone talked about how the Cowboys wouldn't invest the first round draft pick in the offensive line, and then in three of the next uh, in three or four years they they did that. And then, as you said, they picked up Collins. So, yeah, they have completely rebuilt the offensive line. That's the real foundation of the team. That's what they hope is going to help carry them, you know, that to keep the guys off of Tony Romo and to open lanes for that first-round draft pick they picked up. So let's move on to the draft then. And, you know, the one question, and, you know, I, I believe I even asked you when we when you were on the, the Football is America show last month was um, – <laughs> You know, the Cowboys went ahead and they took Ezekiel Elliott, but with all of your woes at pass rush, if Bosa was still there, do you think they pick Bosa over Elliott in that spot? No. That flat out, no. Nope. Uh, they were not as high on Bosa. Uh, the uh, the two highest-ranked guys they had were uh, Elliott and Jalen Ramsey. I think right. the description was, their uh, their little markers on the, the magnetic board were touching. That's how close they were. Uh, mm. They were they were almost even. Um, from the outside, what they appeared to have made the decision was that as an immediate contributor, 
and for what they plan to do this year, Elliott was just more of a fit. Uh, Ramsey, as good as he was, was just going to be one more defensive back. They actually don't feel like they're in bad shape as a, from the things I was describing earlier with their cornerbacks. Right. They've got uh, Byron Jones uh, as their free safety now. They figure Barry Church is going to be their starting safety, and he's acceptable. He's not great, but he's a very uh, solid player. And they think that their secondary is going to be all right this year. Uh, the pass rush is their big concern, and so that's uh, you know that's where they're going to have to find out what happens. They feel that if they've got the solid running game and they can just you know move up and down the field the way they were a lot of 2014, uh, that they can keep the pressure off the defense. And also, if they can score more, they can put the defense in a better position to get sacks and turnovers because. Those tend to come more often when a team is playing behind, having to pass to try and catch up. That all right. opens up the opportunities for an intercepted pass for the quarterback to go down ten yards behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, because I was I was looking at the the team rankings for the defense, and you finished middle of the road, seventeenth overall. But it's you were twenty second against the run, fifth against the pass. But the thing yep. that was surprising about being fifth against the pass is that you were thirtieth in the league in interception. So turnovers weren't as plentiful as you would think for a pass defense that statistically was as good as the Cowboys were last year. Yeah, the, st- the statistics are weird in that way. And, you know, that's one of the problems with doing statistical scouting is that you've got to dig and try to find out what the real story is. Um, there just seemed to be so much of a problem that the other teams would be playing with the lead so much at the time they were sticking with the safe passes. Uh, you know, they were able to dump the ball off and keep drives going or just throw it away, and so the Cowboys weren't able to capitalize on mistakes because the other team didn't have to put itself in a position to make mistakes. That's kind of the theory they've got. You know, go out, do your own scoring, get the lead, and let's, let's put the pressure on the guys on the other side of the line. So that's kind of hopefully what's going to happen with Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, because in uh, 2012, Marinelli's last year as uh, Bears defensive coordinator, they set an NFL record for defensive touchdowns uh, in a season. And, uh, you know, the Bears won 10 games that year. If we had any kind of a semblance of an offense, we probably would have won 12 or 13 games and and made a serious run at at that Mm -hmm. thing. But, uh, you know, that is where Marinelli's defense is going to shine, is creating turnovers, maybe even, you know, creating points. If not creating them themselves, then giving the offense a short field to play with uh, to get back into the end zone. That's one of the things everybody's been wondering, you know, what happened to that. And in 2014, They did better in that aspect, and once again, because the Cowboys were playing with the lead a lot more often. Speaking of the the running game, just to divert real quick, um, Darren McFadden, um, in an attempt not to drop his cell phone, (laughs) broke his elbow. Yes. um, You know, and kind of tried to like play through it. I'm thinking, like, like I think it was day two of minicamp is when. He finally had the X-ray, and the Cowboys found out what was going on. He ends up having surgery on the elbow. How how does how long is he going to be out? Is he going to be ready for training camp, or is he going to be on the pup list? How how long is he going to be down for? Uh, his recovery time is about to the start of training camp, so he may or may not be ready to go. Uh, yeah, I, I refer to that as the falling iPhone elbow. 
that he <laughs> suffered, which was apparently uncovered uh, prior to the start of minicamp. Uh, they apparently oh, okay. did some physical uh, the day before, and that was where it all came out. But he had broken it uh, at least a week before the end of OTAs. So he played at least a full week of OTAs or practiced at least a full week in the OTAs with the broken elbow, and nobody really knew he had it. Uh, but McFadden, the, the question so many of us had was whether McFadden would wind up losing his, his job anyway because McFadden is not a zone runner, and Dallas likes to run zone, especially the outside zone. Uh, and McFadden's strictly a power man-type blocking runner, and he just was a bad fit. And the Cowboys had to change their offensive scheme to make it really work with him. And what's amazing is that they managed to get him back to a 1,000-yard rusher, a guy whose career was pretty much all washed up, and he comes in uh, only starting, I think, it was 11 games and almost averages 100 yards a game over that period. If they can do that with him, now what are they going to be able to do with Ezekiel Elliott, who seems to be a perfectly designed player for what Dallas wants to do offensively on the ground? Yeah, and that was the the thing with that pick uh, of Ezekiel Elliott. It really was kind of viewed upon as the the rich getting richer uh, in that particular situation with the running game, with that offensive line. You'd already signed Alfred Morris. You have Darren McFadden on the roster already, and you're throwing Ezekiel Elliott in there. It's like you're not even going to need Tony Romo with the way you guys are going to be running the ball uh, next year. And just when you thought that the Cowboys, you know – had done what they're going to do in the draft. They take Jalen Smith in the second round, that, that the, the the linebacker out of Notre Dame, when it was all but announced that he's not going to play in 2016 because of, uh, you know, that knee still needs time for the, the nerves uh, to regenerate. That was the, the shock of the draft, I think, for almost everybody was when they took uh, Jalen Smith. I know that my whole reaction was like, you've got to be kidding me. They didn't actually do this, did they? Um, <laughs> now, the unknown story is, is that there were uh, two players. Uh, Ogba was one of them, and I can't remember if there was another defensive end that were taken the two slots before the Cowboys went up. They would have taken one of those players if they'd been available, but they were both gone, and then Smith was their next guy that they had on their board, and they went with him. It's there's a certain amount of risk because nobody knows for sure that the knee's going to come back. Although the projections are that it's almost certain he'll be back in another year, and there are a few people who are saying don't count him out for the uh, entirety of the 2016 season. Uh, he's very optimistic, very upbeat. Uh, he's working out on the cords. He's doing as much conditioning and running, and he's out there learning as much as he can from Sean Lee and people. Uh, but that was a very interesting move where they, they stuck by what they had on their board and what they believed in and were willing to use a draft pick in that case with the eye to the future rather than to right now. Right, and then in the, the third and fourth rounds, you add depth at defensive line. Yep. Uh, Malik Collins from Nebraska, Charles Tapper, defensive end from Oklahoma, and then of course we talked uh, a, a moment ago about Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. uh, the quarterback for Mississippi State, kind of rounding out, you know, a pretty solid draft uh, for the Cowboys. And they then they added, um, I think the most intriguing pick was the Rico Gathers pick, yeah. 
the the tight end from Baylor with their last pick and the, they had four six round picks and he was uh, the last one taken. Yeah, and it, it was that was a classic. Okay, we got this last supplemental six round pick. Uh, let's take a real flyer on a guy that's got a very low floor right now, but who might have a really high ceiling. Uh, Gathers probably looks like he's going to be a, uh, a practice squad uh, candidate before by the time all is said and done. Uh, but, you know, the possibilities with him in the red zone with his jumping ability, uh, he could be an interesting weapon one day, and they may even be looking at him as being in the mix for that day when Jason Witten is no longer around. But, yeah, he was he was just kind of a fun pick in a way to take. Uh, another guy to, to watch uh, is Darius Jackson, the other running back they picked up. Uh, because now that they've got uh, McFadden injured and going to be a little bit behind the power curve, uh, you know, they've only got three healthy backs in Elliott, Morris, and this Jackson, uh, who's another rookie, because the only other two backs they've got are McFadden. We're not sure when he's going to be back. And then Dunbar is expected to be on PUP to start everything off for the season. And that's it. So, Jackson's got a great opportunity to establish something, and he is—he's uh, one of those uh, athletic freaks. You know, if, if you're familiar with Spark scores, he scores mm-hmm. very high, and that was why they went for him. And uh, he's got a lot of a lot of the characteristics. He's sort of like uh, Ezekiel Elliott light. You know, he's got a lot of the same skill set. And he's got a great chance to establish himself now that there's a chance there may be just a, a place for him just because they need the depth early in the season. Now, how long has Jason Garrett been the head coach? He came in, I believe it was the, the 2010 season now. This is his sixth year, I believe, or seven. Now you got me, I'm not sure. I think he came in on a five-year deal and then he was extended. So I think this is his seventh, but I believe 2010 was his first full year. I'd have to go look. Yeah, he I, came in mid-season and replaced Wade Phillips, right? Yeah, he did, and I believe that was okay. the old nine season when everything just kind of went to pot. Right. So, so he's had three eight and eight seasons. He had the twelve and four season, and then he had a four and twelve season because he's uh, as as the full-time head coach. He's exactly five hundred, and then he went five and three in the half season as the interim head coach. So, how much time do you think he has left? Because I thought that that he might be done after last season, despite the injury problems, no. you know, that, I mean, how much time do you think he has left as, as head coach? I mean, if, if the Cowboys come out and worst case scenario, you know, six and 10, four and 12, again, you think he's going to be showing the door this time around? If it was, if there aren't injury uh, issues, it could be a problem, but the, the perception is, is that he kind of got a mulligan for last year because of the the Romo Bryant uh, Scandrick injuries, he had there was so much to try and recover from, and uh, kind of the the belief is that the uh, the Jones family, the front office, took the whole backup quarterback mess as more their responsibility. You know, they are the ones that had put Whedon in place, and he didn't work out, so that really wasn't something they could hang around Garrett's neck. Uh, Jerry Jones has a lot of faith in uh, Jason Garrett. Uh, you can hear it when he talks because uh, 
Garrett has a lot of very frequently repeated phrases like, you know, we want to do our best to get better every day, and uh, it's a process and all that stuff. And the longer Jason Garrett's the head coach, the more those phrases you hear coming from Jerry Jones. Mm. It's it's an interesting situation. Uh, there have been, you know, some cases where Jerry Jones has had uh, yes men as coaches, uh, Dave Campo, you know, and uh, oh, yeah. that didn't work out so well. Uh, it seems like he's found someone who is able to stand up and make his case and make himself understood and believed. And yet you've also got a coach in Jason Garrett who displays absolutely no ego. Uh, Jerry Jones can hog the spotlight all he wants, and Jason Garrett doesn't care. He's going to be out preparing for the next game. And it's a, it's a really good match in that sense. And the belief that's kind of building in the media is that the Cowboys are looking a lot more like the team that went 12-4 and four in, in 2014 in the team last year if they can keep the people healthy and if that happens then Garrett will be fine well speaking of of guys you know you're wondering how much longer they have how much longer do you think Jerry Jones is going to keep himself in place as the general manager because as owner or president or whatever that's more of a figurehead type position but as general manager he's making a decision day-to-day on on personnel and and free agents and and things like that and that's something that really hasn't had too much success since Jeremy Johnson left the team well there's a little bit let me go into a little bit of a personal theory I have this is kind of what got me started writing about the Cowboys Uh, the past several years it hasn't really been Jerry Jones as the GM it's been Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones sharing the responsibility with Stephen Jones actually doing more and more of the day-to-day GM stuff, while Jerry Jones is focusing on big-picture stuff and, you know, getting that uh, stadium in Arlington, and now they've got this incredible uh, new practice facility they're about to open in Frisco, Texas, that they will actually, when they get done out in Oxnard, they're going to come back and start practicing there. Uh, this is a dedicated facility that has an, a 12,000-seat indoor stadium that's going to be used by the local high school on Friday night and Saturday. Uh, this is just uh, going to, you know, everything I've heard about it is just remarkable. They've just announced that a major hospital is opening a sports health center that's going to be attached to it, and there's going to be hotels and everything. <laughs> that's where uh, Jerry Jones is focusing his efforts. Stephen Jones is the guy that's really doing a lot of the running of the team. And now they've got a guy named Will McClay who's uh, in charge of the uh, talent acquisition side of the house, so to speak. He's in charge of the scouts. Uh, he's responsible for making sure that the draft board is uh, set up correctly and they don't run into the problem they had when they came in and uh, the, the uh, scouting staff had Sheriff Floyd as the top player, and the uh, coaches were saying, no, 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 we're going to a 4-3, we don't want him. And they wound up trading back and picking up Travis Frederick, which was uh, a, uh, a draft that was widely panned by everybody because of Travis Frederick, and all he's done is go to the Pro Bowl twice. So right. McClay has come in and got that side of the house straightened up. It's really, there's, there's four people that, 
kind of sit down and work out a lot of this stuff together. That the Joneses, uh, Jerry and Steven, Will McClay, and Jason Garrett, and it's it's really hard to say that one guy makes the decision. What happens is they usually do most of the talking out, with Jerry Jones kind of reserving the last uh He's the last resort. If they can't come to a decision, he will make it. But most of the time, they have a consensus and, and know what they're doing going forward. It's not always perfect. I think Greg Hardy was one time it broke down. because I don't think Jason Garrett would have done that if it had been his decision alone. But still, most of the time, most of the stuff, there's four guys that are on the same page. So it's not going to be a big change the day when Jerry Jones, for whatever reason, has to be no longer be involved because Stephen Jones is going to just step into that role and things are just going to keep moving on. Let's move on to the schedule and um, looking at it. You got the Bears week number three. Uh, we've had two very entertaining trips to the Jerry Dome so far. <laughs> uh, 2010, 2012, both victories for my uh, beloved in the blue and orange. Um, that's a Sunday night game, so it's actually the first national TV game uh, for the Cowboys that year. And, of course, there's there's that uh, Thanksgiving tradition that the Cowboys are always a part of, the Redskins, this year. And the Cowboys the last few years have been a part of that whole Thursday to Thursday thing. Like, they play on Thanksgiving, and then they play Thursday the the week after as well. They're playing the Vikings on Thursday night football the week after thanksgiving was there anything else on the schedule that jumped out at you when it when it first came out the only thing that really jumped out on me is that they've you know they opened the season with two divisional games uh they play the uh the giants at home and then they travel to play uh washington i believe uh yes they you know they need to get off to a fast start uh you know they did last year they won their first two games in a similar situation with the Giants in Philadelphia. Um, Washington is probably the uh, biggest challenge they've got in the NFC East. Uh, I just don't have good feelings about what's going on in Philadelphia right now. Um, but I think Washington is going to be a challenge. And then it's going to be interesting to see how the Giants do with a brand-new coach and everything. But they've, they've still got Eli Manning and some very good receivers. Uh, and, you know, when Manning's good, he's a very good quarterback. You know, he just has to be one of those people that he can also be a very bad quarterback uh, when he gets off. Um, so right, those, and the Giants went out and bought a new defense. Yeah, they, they spent a lot of money. I don't – I'm not a person that subscribes to the uh, building uh, by spending a lot of money in free agency. Uh, that, to me, my – prejudice i guess is that that tends to lead to a failure more than it does success uh it does sometimes work so we'll have to see how that happens but um it's going to be a an interesting challenge to see how they do uh against the the new look that they're going to have with elliot as the running back and with uh hopefully with everybody healthy uh in the passing side of the business so those first two games i think are going to be uh, it's either going to get them off to a fast start, or if they don't do well, then it's going to be you know kind of rocky from there on. Yeah, it's going to set them up with a, a hole they have to dig themselves out of. Yep. Now, um, 
Oh, I had a question that just flew right out of my head. Don't you hate it when that happens? Yeah, and it does. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Let's just say I've gotten to the point where that's a day to day concern. <laughs> well, speaking of that, actually, um, one of the questions that I usually set for the beginning uh, of the interview, like I kind of like to push it towards the end. Now is. Um, you know, and it's kind of like a getting to know you thing. Like, how long have you been a fan? Is it is it a lifelong thing? And then, you know, maybe this is where you're where you're gonna date yourself. But what would be your favorite moment as a cowboy fan over the years? Probably their first Super Bowl win. And yes, I remember it. And yes, I was watching it. I remember Dandy Don Meredith throwing the bullet, Bob Hayes. Mm. So. Yeah, I've been a I have been a fan of the Cowboys since the mid '60s, basically. Uh, about the time they started to to come around from being an expansion team was when I first started paying attention to pro to pro football with my dad. He would sit down and watch the games, and I got to sitting down and watching with him, and that's kind of where I learned about the game. So, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I've been with him for a while. Uh, you know, Tom Landry is deservedly so something of a legend um you know and yeah i can remember a guy that you, you're probably familiar with named ditka that played for the cowboys so yeah i've heard of that guy yeah he's, yeah. he's pretty well known but uh yeah, yeah. My, my memories go back and so i've kind of seen uh you know i saw both the glory eras the uh long long string of playoff appearances they had with two super bowl victories and you know three losses that they participated in and then the resurgence, the you know the meteoric rise they had uh, when uh, Jimmy Johnson was there, and first you know they came in. Jerry Jones, you know, angered everybody by firing Tom Landry, which was kind of a preordained thing, almost a condition of them buying the team for some reason. Uh, yeah, there were issues with Bum Bright, the pri- previous owner. He was tired of Landry for some reason. And uh, so, you know, Jerry Jones got off to a rocky start. Some members of the Dallas media have never forgiven him for that. There are a few writers that still come down on him every chance they get, largely because of that. Uh, And, you know, and then I've seen the long dry spell that they're trying to come out of now. So, yeah, I've been a longtime Cowboys fan. And I have, I I like Jason Garrett. I'm, I'm a guy that wants him to, because I think he's the perfect coach for that team. And, uh, you know, I just like almost everything about what he does, uh, other than the fact that he is a master at going into a 30-minute press conference and he comes out and you realize he never really did anything. <laughs> he, he can spin these catchphrases and, you know, they use these, uh, you know, just say these same things, but when, it come, when all is said and done, you really don't learn a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like uh, sounds like Lovey Smith, actually. Yeah. He can sit up there and say a bunch of words, but in at the in the end, you came away knowing just about as much as you did yeah. before the before the press conference even started. And don't even get me started on trying to get information out of Lovey as far as injuries are concerned. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's here like, it's very yeah very close mouth about injuries, what they really mean. I think that's gonna wrap us up there, Tom. Um, uh-huh. I really appreciate you uh, being on the show, and um, it's blogging well, the boys. I did, I definitely did, and I think my listeners did uh, as well. It's it's bloggingtheboys.com on SB Nation, correct? 
that's it. Come by if uh, if you're interested. In the Cowboys drop in. Uh, you know, we cover the. We've got a, a network that covers all 32 teams, and uh, at blogging the boys, we take a lot of pride in trying to put out fan-oriented stuff without the uh, blinders on. We try to see what's really going on. You know what, and that's that's commendable because I've, uh, you know, as part of the Football is America show, we've had several of the the SB Nation uh, writers on, and you can definitely tell when someone is wearing the blinders because their organization or the team itself can do no wrong, despite the fact they're talking to us about a six and ten team that was awful the year before but what they've got going on that's the answer to it all and they're going all the way despite the fact that it's not even close to being true so um you know it's definitely uh commendable and it's it's something that i pride myself upon doing this show as well it's like not only am i devoted to the team but i'm also you know I'm not foolish enough to think that, you know, that John Fox is the answer to everything or that Jay Cutler is the second coming or anything like that. And whenever there are mistakes that are made, you know, yeah. I, I like to told my team to task for that. And anybody who, who deals with pro football has to understand that luck plays a bigger part in the NFL than it does any other sport. Because oh, yeah. so few games, uh, you know, just a few bounces of the ball can completely change the outcome of the season. It's amazing how, how often something happens. And, you know, that's what we're pinning our hopes on as Cowboys fans is that it was bad luck that killed them last year with the string of injuries early on. Yeah, and, and we Bear fans can definitely um, can definitely empathize with that because there were a few games that got away from the Bears last year. The, the San Francisco game in particular is one that still hurts um, because there were about four or five different things that happened in that game. If one of them, if just one of yeah. them doesn't happen, the Bears win, period. Yeah. Robbie Gold misses two field goals. If he makes one, yep. the Bears win. Cutler threw a pick six. If that doesn't happen, the Bears win. There was a holding penalty on a punt return for a touchdown that got called back. If that doesn't happen, the Bears win. I mean, it's so many things. If one of those things doesn't happen, the Bears win, and that happened a couple of times. Uh, last year, so yeah. Don't get us talking about the playoff game against Green Bay, where if uh, <laughs> where if the big one was actually with Demarco Murray hadn't fumbled the ball, and yeah. then if the referees had understood that yes, that was a catch. Damn it! Yes, it, I I thought it was too. I really did <laughs> think it was. And to tell you the truth, it had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Bears fan hoping that the Cow, uh, excuse me, that the the Packers lose or anything like that. I just thought it was a great catch uh, yeah. on Bryant's part, especially with him, you know, making the catch and then leaping forward to try to make it a touchdown there at the end. I thought it a was move a catch. He's made, yeah, it was a move he's made many times before. That yeah. was, it just, oh, that, that one's still, and we're trying to put that behind it, but it still burns. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely. Uh, that's definitely going to be a tough pill to swallow when something like that uh, when something like that happens. Especially since if you win that game, you go to Seattle, and that was a team that beat Seattle in Seattle, which was impossible to do in 2013 and 2014. So, and you made it look easy that at the time that you you did it. So, you know, you have to you have to feel pretty good about going into the NFC title game if the Cowboys come away with a win in Green Bay. Yeah, and the Seattle win hinged on one fantastic play by Terrence Williams where he grabbed, took the ball, 
a guy who's a renowned body catcher, reached out, snagged it with his fingertips, and tapped both toes down just inside the line to keep the drive alive that wound up winning the game for them. And there you have it. So, uh, Tom, thanks again uh, for being on the show. And um, we definitely love to have you back on during the regular season, the week of the game when the Bears and the, the Cowboys meet up on uh, Sunday night, kind of com- compare notes and see where the Cowboys are after those first two games when they're playing those divisional opponents and, and see if uh, if they're going to have a, a hole they have to dig themselves out of when they're playing the Bears on Sunday night or if they're in, uh, in a decent position in, uh, you know, welcoming the Bears into, into Jerry Dome that week. Let me know. I'll be glad to. All right. Tom Ryle, bloggingtheboys.com, SB Nation, previewing the 2016 Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> So another great conversation kicking off the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys and Tom Ryle. Look forward to having him back week number three before the Bears uh, take on the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football, another uh, national TV game uh, for the Bears. Should be uh, very interesting. It would be a back-to-back national TV and actually a back-to-back NFC East affair. Uh, because we play the Eagles week two on Monday Night Football in the Bears' home opener and then take on the Cowboys week number three in the Jerry Dome on Sunday Night Football. So we'll see uh, how all that goes uh, for the Bears. Uh, a pretty decent three-game stretch that we have to kick things off, but definitely a, a manageable one, much more so than than last year's with the uh, the Packers, the the Cardinals, and the Seahawks. All three made the playoffs uh, last year and were deep playoff teams the year before too so crazy crazy schedule the Bears had but we got the Texans in Houston to kick things off we're home for the Eagles and then on the road again for the Cowboys so see how we fare in in that three-game stretch versus how we did uh, in 2015 so um, like I said look forward to having him back great conversation and um, yeah he said his favorite moment was Super Bowl six when the uh, Cowboys beat the Dolphins, um, yeah, that was that was 45 years ago, folks. So, uh, you know, he's definitely older than that. I mean, he wouldn't tell us how old he was, but uh, that definitely kind of puts that out there. If you remember 45 years ago when the uh, Cowboys beat the Dolphins in Super Bowl six, then uh, yeah, you're you're up there. So, but had a great time talking f- to him. Look forward to having him back uh, week number three. And um, that's going to do it for the Cowboys and part one of the NFC East preview. We'll move on to part number two when the G-Men, the New York Giants, will be our focus. And Christopher Schwartz from GQ, or excuse me, GmenHQ.com on, on the fansided.com uh, page will be joining us to talk about the, uh, the 2016 Giants. And I really am looking forward to asking him about where the, <laughs> where the Giants got all this money. All of a sudden, because going into the free agency period, it was the Raiders, the Jaguars and the Bears. Those were the three teams that everybody was talking about because those were the teams that had the most money to spend. And then the team that spent the most out of anybody was the Giants. So I'm going to have to, to you know, dig in and, and find out exactly how much money did the Giants have and did they spend it all on just those two players? So we'll talk about that. Plus a whole bunch more. Eli Manning. 
uh, Ben McAdoo being the new head coach, so on and so forth, and uh, a whole lot more with the G-Men when we come back for part two of our NFC East preview. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.